0: So what was your answer? How would your life change if you only knew when blank would happen? who has got an answer for that. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. When someone passes away. Yeah, like how would you well, how would your life change, right? Information on that. Anybody else? What would you get, Alex? What would you say? I said I said death when you would die. You've already done everything else. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, when, when someone passes away, or, or if we were going to get the job, right? Or if that person was going to say yes. Those are really important things for us. And they have a way of paralyzing us too, though. Not knowing, how many of you have ever felt paralyzed by what you didn't know, when something was going to happen? You just felt stuck, right? When the approval was going to come through, when something was going to happen with that. This Lent, we've been talking about forgiving. We've been talking about the different things we have to forgive. And in the learning guide this week, we talk about this concept of forgiving God, which is kind of a radical concept because we know that God doesn't sin. He doesn't; He's not malicious. There's no evil in God. Yet at the same time, the way that we experience our life can at times feel unfair. It can feel like God has forgotten us or God is picking on us or God has been negligent or God has been unkind. Now, we may know these things are not true in our brain, but in our heart, we can feel that way. Now, some people would tell you, well, just let it go. Just forget it. Obviously, God doesn't mean anything bad. Obviously, God isn't out to get you. Obviously, God didn't do that to hurt you. But that doesn't change our experience of it. It might speak to our mind, but it doesn't speak to our heart. And what we see in the Psalms time and time again is people, the people who really know God are the people who are really honest with God. Look, there's nothing you can hide from God, even though we try. There's nothing you can hide. And actually, what inhibits our relationship at times is when we do try. We try to make excuses. We try to deny our feelings or make excuses for God. So in our preparation for worship this morning, I want us to do something. I want us all to stand up. And we've done this before, so you're going to be familiar with it. But I want you to think about something that you may be holding on. Something you may be holding on to. Maybe it's something that you don't understand. Maybe it's a question. Maybe you're hanging with that question. My life would just change if I only knew when this would happen or it may be God I don't understand why you allowed this to happen it may be something that you need to go through the process of fully giving over to God with all the emotions all the anger all the fear all the frustration all the pain trust God to receive that you're not going to cut yourself up from God cut yourself off from God as a matter of fact, you may, right now, be holding God at arm's length because of that pain, because of that question. So I want you to think about that for a moment. Think about if there's anything right now that you're holding on to, anything that you are afraid to give God. It may be a question. It may be a hurt. And I want you to clench your fist up right now. Clench them. them. Clench them as fast, as hard as you can. I mean, let's see white on your knuckles. Dig your fingernails into your palms. Dig them in, dig them in, dig them in. Now slowly let that thing go. Release and open your palm. God, we offer you everything this morning. Our praise, yes, but also our questions and our pain, our doubts, our fears, our anger, our ignorance, all of it we release to you right now in the community of your people. The presence of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning once again. My name is John Ray. I am um, one of the elders here at Grace Church. I'm in charge of the teaching team. We're really glad everybody's here listening on podcast, watching on Facebook Live. It's good to see old friends back for the weekend. Um, I I spent all day last Sunday when Grace was doing a great job, Grace Holt, that is, here at Grace, um, leading the teaching. I spent all day in the San Diego airport. I got there early and then they bumped me to a later flight, which was okay. They compensated me, I was okay with that. But then that flight got delayed by weather. And if you've ever been in that situation, uh, Donnie Epp called it purgatory, right? Where you don't know how long you're gonna have to wait because literally, it was coming up like every five minutes. Okay, you're on hold from SFO. Uh, we'll, we'll let you know as soon as it gets back on. Five minutes later, we're on, still on hold from SFO. We'll let you know. And you're watching all the, the various options run out. You're watching, oh, well, that flight's leaving. I'm not going to make that one, right? And you're sitting there, and you're in this, this holding pattern, this hovering pattern, as Donnie said, it's it's this purgatory, it's it's between two places. And you're watching your cell phone battery get weaker and weaker, and your computer and you're trying to figure out, okay, do I have enough computer batteries? Should I should I start on that project that really needs my attention? Should I dig into my book where I can kind of lose myself? Or, or is that gonna make me miss my flight? Right? Because you have to be alert, you have to be prepared, ready for it to go, but you don't know. So you It it keeps you from being fully present where you are, but you don't know when you're going to leave. And I got to tell you, I hate that. Like, that is not my idea of fun. That that hovering, waiting, kind of being alert where I can't fully engage in any one thing keeps me from enjoying anything. And I think we can kind of feel that way sometimes with our faith. And as a matter of fact, as we talk about this, this passage this week, it'd be real easy to think, well, that's the way we're supposed to live our lives. Like, like we could think that that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, don't get too wrapped up in your stuff here. Don't dig into that book. Don't start that project because I may call your gate pretty quick but i don't think that that's a i don't think that's a healthy way to live but at the same time we can't ignore it we can't just assume hey i know when this is going to happen and i know what's going to happen like we can't live on the assumption that we got it figured out and that we know when it's going to happen so so we can't go that direction either so what are we to do what are we to do well we look at a passage this week that culminates parable after parable, warning after warning that Jesus has given since he's entered into to Jerusalem for what we know as Holy Week, this one culminates the parables or the passages on waiting, on being ready, on being prepared. So let's, let's look at the text this week. So we're looking at Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. He says, "At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of the virgins were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish one took their lamps, they did not take extra olive oil with them. But the wise ones took flask of olive oil with their lamps. When the bridegroom was uh, when the bridegroom was ready, they when he when he delayed when the bridegroom was delayed, it should say." They all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, look, the bridegroom is here, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there won't be enough for you and for us. Instead, go sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they had gone to buy it, the bridegroom arrived and those who were ready went inside with him to the wedding banquet. Then the door was shut. Later the other virgins came too, saying, Lord, Lord, let us in. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I do not know you. Therefore stay alert, because you do not know the day or the hour. Now Jane and I, we, we were very fortunate to get to go to uh, and visit uh, Erfurt, Germany, this past December, where Martin Luther studied and was ordained in the cathedral where he was ordained. Has this incredible relief outside of the ten virgins? Like when you walk in, they have them on the side, and they have here are the foolish virgins, virgins, virgins of virgins um, up there. You can see one of them looks kind of like she's dancing. I'm not sure what that's all about. But uh, but on one side you have the foolish virgins, and then on the other side you have the wise virgins with their lamps looking all ready and content and happy that the Lord is coming. And uh, in our society, I kind of thought if we were going to change this version, it would be uh, the five virgins who were adulting and the five virgins who weren't, right? I like this. Any of you follow El Arroyo? Um, It's one of my favorite uh, websites to follow, Instagram. They come up with pithy statements like this. Right? You're adulting. It's hard. It's hard to be ready. It's tiring. It costs you things to do that. But that's what's happening here. So what does it mean? What does it mean when we say this to stay alert and to be prepared while we wait? Because we have to start with the assumption we we all are waiting. In one place, in some part of our life, all of us are waiting. Well, let's look at the cultural context first here. Um, we, could get, we could go far into the weeds on this as far as what wedding parties were like and why the bridegroom would show up and why it would be at night and what was the purpose of the oil and how they would do that. But what we really need to remember here, and while it's interesting to study all those things, let's not miss the main point. The main point is that the wedding was the deal. Is that in the cultural context a wedding was going to be the high point, the most anticipated thing. This is where the culture came together. They didn't have Super Bowls. They didn't have New Year's Eve parties. They had some some seasonal parties associated with the religion, obviously. But as far as like the community in there, a wedding provided the context for a party like no other thing. So weddings were big deals. This was something that you really gave your all, your most, your best for, was for a wedding. And that's why Jesus, I think, uses this imagery so often. In our society where people live together and they, don't, and they may never get married, or, or you go to some exotic vo- vacation destination to get married, and, and it's just you and your spouse and a couple friends on the beach, I mean, we've kind of lost the impact of how the wedding in this culture was a, was a big deal for the whole community. Not just for the two people getting married, but for the whole community. It was a community event for that. Now, in the biblical context where we find this, like I alluded to earlier, this is at the end of a long section of Jesus' teaching on being ready. He knew he was leaving. He knew what was going on. He knew, he knew where he was headed as we, as we follow his, his story as it goes up to the arrest, to the crucifixion, the resurrection and the ascension. And these these stories are put in a specific order, a divine ordering, to lead us to specific conclusions. And that this is the capstone of those is important for us to recognize. So that's the cultural context, the biblical context, but now we're in the historical context here. Which is, y'all, it's been 2,000 years. It's been over 2,000 years. Now think about that for a minute. 2000 years of waiting. That can that can be overwhelming. As I considered it this week, I was I was struck sobered by that idea. And in some ways that thought came into my head doesn't that? I mean Doesn't that disqualify it? I mean, just being real honest with y'all. I thought if somebody told me to get ready for something that was going to happen, and then it didn't happen for over 2,000 years, wouldn't it be logical to question then, did that guy know what he was talking about? Was Was that really true what was said? And then I thought about this is that yes, it has been over 2,000 years that we are still anticipating the return of Jesus, the triumphal, final entry of God into history of Jesus into our place. But that doesn't mean it hasn't been happening. See, I think Jesus has been coming to us. Jesus has been continually, ever since he ascended into heaven, reaching into history and showing up Not in the fullness, not in the ultimate way. But in the very real way. Through the church, through the Holy Spirit. That yes, we've been waiting for 2,000 years, but we've also been receiving for 2,000 years. We've also been startled by the appearance of Jesus. We've also been struck by the closeness of the Holy Spirit. That all of us have encountered God. This is not like what we talk about when we talk about the intertestamental period where Jesus was quiet, where God seemingly was quiet for 400 years. No, it's not like that at all. This is a, this is a period, these 2,000 years are a period alive with the presence of the Holy Spirit, alive with the activity of the church, alive with people going and doing and acting in the name and in the power of Jesus. Jesus is here. He was here, he is here, and he is coming. This is not a static one-time promise that has not been experienced in any way for 2,000 years. No, this, what we look forward to at the end is the ultimate, the wrapping up, but it is now as well. But Jesus is here Now, But it still brings us back to the question, how do we stay alert for that ultimate appearance? And in relationship to that, how do we stay alert for when Jesus arrives today? How do we stay alert for when Jesus arrives tomorrow? Because he is not far off. He is present, alive, and active. And in every day, in every moment even, we have the opportunity to welcome Jesus into whatever context we're in. Well, the first thing we need to do, and I I encourage you throughout the week to use the learning guide to, to really meditate on these things, to synthesize them. I'm going to say some things today that I want you to check out. I'm just going to warn you. There was some stuff we talked about in the teaching meeting and some stuff that I prepared as I was doing this that I'm not quite sure is totally accurate. Just fair warning. I loved it. I had a I had a professor in seminary who was repeating something that one of his professors had said. He said, Now what I'm going to teach you in this class, he said, 80% of it is absolutely true. He said, 20% of it's heresy. He so the problem is I have no idea which is which. <laughs> That's the way we do things here at Grace. You give me permission to go out on a limb to share some ideas, some thoughts with you, because I know you're going to check me on those. You're not just going to believe them because I've got the microphone on, but also you're not just going to ignore them. You're going to engage with these ideas. So here's the first one when I think about this. How do we wait attentively? How do we actually live our lives in that place? <clears throat> Excuse me. Where we don't know the time, but we do know that it's coming. Well, I would say there's three things we're not to do. We're not to wait anxiously. Look, this Jesus didn't set this up so we'd be scared. Let me just reassure you with that. Jesus was not intending to get us to behave by scaring us. God is not like the negligent parent who says, if you get out of bed, the boogeyman's going to get you. God's not like that. He's not saying, hey, you better get ready, because if you're not, I'm going to flack you. That's not what's happening here. We're not to wait anxiously. We're not to wait fearfully. We're not to wait in the same way that we would be scared if we don't if we don't behave, we're going to get smote by God. We're also not to wait arrogantly. We're not to wait as if we know the time. We're not to wait as if, "Hey, we got all this figured out. I'm okay." It's going to be fine when he comes back. It's going to be fine when that happens. No, we, we're not to wait arrogantly either with that. Like, like we know what's going to happen, and we've got everything figured out, and we're just going to be all right. Like it's not like that either. We're also not to wait assumingly. We're not to wait just in the assumption, as I said, that goes with arrogance. That this really got this one nailed. Let's move on to something else. But we are to wait with eager attention and affection. Let's go back to what the cultural context was with this. This is a wedding, y'all. Jesus uses that metaphor because this is something we should look forward to with affection, with eagerness, like we get to go. So often we look at church, we look at religion, we look at the things of Jesus like a have-to. i got to go to church. Oh, i got to give my money. Oh, i got to be nice. Right? Oh, i got to sit by Alex again. You know, he needs a friend. Yeah, good job, Bailey. <laughs> right? Like we treat it all like a have-to. Y'all, this is a get-to. This is a get-to to. We get to do this. You don't have to be here. You're not earning anything by being here. God doesn't love you more because you showed up this Sunday or love you less because you didn't. We get to do this. That's the thing. We get to be invited to the wedding. We are part of the wedding party. We are there. This is a get-to. And our anticipation, our eagerness, our waiting, our alertness needs to be rooted in the idea of, I get to go. I've been invited. I got the golden ticket. I get to go. So we need to wait attentively. We also need to wait responsi- responsively. We need to wait responsibly. We need to know that this this invitation to this thing means that we have a responsibility, a good one, not imposed upon us, not an onerous one, but something good is, hey, well, what do you want me to do? If I get to go, let me help. And Jesus is all about that. He said, yeah, come on. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to let this joy capture your imagination." I want you to let this invitation into the kingdom frame everything that you think about. What you're going to do, what you buy, what you wear, where you go, all your affections, all your affiliations, all your allegiances. Everything is to be framed by this. That's our response to it. Our response is not to look at the invitation, take it, put it in the file, forget about it. No, it is to put it up on the refrigerator, plan our calendar, put the big circle around it on the calendar, Even though we're not exactly when it sure is coming. We know it's coming. And then let that form our imagination. We're to let this to be ever before us. Jesus. Jesus has come. Jesus is here. Jesus is coming. Everything needs to be filtered through that invitation. Through that promise. That's how we wait responsibly for this. The last thing is that we need to prepare abundantly. Now, here's where I'm going to go out on a limb. There's an article, you'll find it in the resource, in the learning guide under the resources, of a theologian who made a commentary and he said, he took issue with the traditional interpretations and understanding of the scripture and the traditional ones are are listen they're they're right the the overall thrust of it is the same which is hey get ready pay attention get ready pay attention right but we encounter this troublesome thing and we encountered it as we study this week <sighs> Esther does Jesus want us to share yeah right Esther how old are you Esther I'm sorry Eleven, yeah. Esther's eleven. She's already got that part down. All right. You don't have to be in church very long to know that Jesus wants you to share. That selfishness is not a good thing. Selfishness is not a quality that Jesus promotes. Yet we came across this part where it says the ten are the five wise virgins, right? The five foolish ones. They came and they said, "Will you share your oil? Will you give us some?" And what did the five wise versions say? They said, ah, you ain't having none of mine. Go get your own. And, and that seems to be rewarded here. Right? I mean, just read the text, right? It seems like, so the foolish ones, they leave, and then they get cut out of the party. And, and that doesn't seem to jive with what we know about Jesus. It doesn't jive with anything else that we've seen him teach in scripture. So whenever we see something like this, our antenna's got to go up. You got to say, hold on, hold on, hold on. What's happening here? Jesus, what are you up to? And there's a couple couple clues that I'm going to do. One is, he says, Everything up to that point, he's been saying, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. But here he says, in that day, the kingdom of God will be like. Okay, so he changes up. He gives us a little clue there with that. And here's what this one commentator, and what I tend to, like I'm testing with y'all. Argue with me, please. Not right now, but argue with me. I, I think it's almost Jesus is... He's showing the Pharisees up like he's exposing them with sarcasm. He's flipping the tables. He's almost saying like, you think the kingdom of God is like this. You think it's going to go to all the prim and proper. You think it's going to go to all the people who have got their stuff. You think it's going to go to all the people who, hey, I got my ducks in the road. Don't touch my ducks. You go get yours and that God is going to reward that. He's just gonna walk you in, shut the door, and everybody who ain't ready gets to stay out. And I almost think he's saying that with sarcasm here. Because everything that we've seen about Jesus' teaching up to this point is that the King of God's for everybody. Right? How many parables have we seen so far where he goes, he goes, go out in the streets, pull the, pull the beggars off the street, grab the prostitutes, the tax collectors. Get the Gentiles, bring them in, everybody's welcome. He's not going to change that here, I don't think. I think instead, what he's doing this is he's making an illustration of the extreme and the opposite. Now, again, test me out on this. But I think what he does is he's showing something that is so that would be so utterly unlike. What he has taught previous to that, it actually accentuates the opposite. He's actually making the opposite point. Because I think to wait abundantly means we give everything we have. We don't live our lives within the narrow confines of this. And, And let me give an illustration of this. In our society, especially today, there's this thing called prepper culture. I may step on a few toes here, all right? Right the the freeze-dried food industry, the cave somewhere in the Ozarks. I heard a, I heard brother Jim up in Branson is selling apocalypse-proof condos uh, up there. And in the prepper culture is all about, hey, something bad's going to happen. I need to get everything I can so I'll be taken care of. Because everybody else is not out of luck. And it's a hoarding culture. It's a selfish culture in many ways. It's an excluding culture. And I think the Pharisees had kind of taken on that, that taint, that smell, that persona. It was like, hey, we're righteous. We got ours. The kingdom of God comes back. We're gonna be front of the line. Just like I said, they were waiting arrogantly. And Jesus says, You think the kingdom of God's gonna be like this? Whereas well, everything else he said says the opposite. I think for us to be waiting or to respond respond with abundance is not to be preppers but to be prepared. And how does a Christian prepare? How do we as Christians prepare? We give it all away. Everywhere else in scripture it says, don't love your life, lose it. You got two coats, give one away. Give to those who have need and give without expecting them to pay back. Make sure that everybody's taken care of in your community. The poor, the homeless, the widows, the orphan, the abused, the abandoned, the refugee. Give it all out. Don't hold on to anything else. Put all your treasure in heaven. Don't store it up here on earth. That is the prevailing message of Scripture, and I don't think Jesus is saying anything different here. Although we could easily, if we look at it in isolation and superficially, we could easily justify selfish actions by it. Don't think that's what's being said here. But we handle Scripture here at Grace carefully. And we do it as a community. So I'm asking you this week, in your discussions and in your devotions, test this out. Is Jesus saying, hey, get your stuff ready, and when the time comes, just make sure you got yours. Is that the way we're to abundantly prepare? Or is the way we are to abundantly prepare by giving it all away in anticipation that Jesus is coming? And it's not going to make any difference what we've got. As a matter of fact, it's not going to be a help to us, but a burden. That when that day comes, if we've got everything we need and we're fully stocked and we have concentrated on ourselves, it is going to be like a millstone tied around our neck. And not something that saves us. We need to prepare. We need to wait attentively, responsively, and we need to prepare abundantly. Here's the thing. We also need to practice. We need to practice waiting like this because it's too easy. It's too easy to get anxious. In our world, There's so much coming at us to make us fearful, to make us anxious. We have to practice not being anxious. We have to practice these things. It's also too easy just to block it out, just to say, it's too much. I don't understand. I don't get it. I'm just going to live my life like it's not going to happen. And be perfectly content to never give it another thought. That is equally an attractive offer. But to insert ourselves into this place of eagerly, responsively, attentively waiting while abundantly preparing is the call to discipleship. It is the call to the cross. It is the call to follow Jesus. And it is the call we cannot deny as Jesus' followers. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and give you an invitation before the invitation. And the invitation is this. This is the one to help us prepare. This Sunday marks two weeks until Holy Week. Two weeks from now, we'll have Palm Sunday in here and we'll start into Holy Week. We're given the chance to participate our waiting skills by that, by preparing ourselves for that week and preparing ourselves to participate in the events that we're gonna do. We're gonna do our tenebrae service, our Friday night, Good Good Friday service, weather permitting back here around the campfire. If you've never participated in the tenebrae service, it's a powerful time. We're gonna do that Friday night. Sunday morning, we're gonna have a sunrise service outside. Again, weather permitting around that same campfire. And then we'll come in fellowship and have our celebration. Now, y'all, it's like anything else. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. If you just live like it's not going to happen and show up, hey, you'll get something, but it won't be what it could be. And if you're fearful and you don't, and all you're you're filled with anxiety towards it, it's not going to satisfy that either. But intentionally, for the next three weeks, (coughs) give yourself to attentive waiting to eager anticipation by putting these things on your calendar choosing to show up and participate in them it takes practice but we have the promise thanks for being here Alex is going to lead us in this time and for those of you who are visiting we have an open communion table if you are seeking Jesus he is waiting for you here He's waiting at this table. And we take this, he said, on that last night with his disciples, when he took the bread and he took the cup and he said, do this in remembrance of me. I think he also intended for us to do it in anticipation of his return. Because he said, truly, I won't eat it again until I eat it with you when the kingdom has come. He was pointing backwards, yes, but forward as well. So we take this meal as a way of eagerly, responsively, abundantly waiting. Grace Church, Jesus has come. Jesus is here and Jesus is coming. Participating in this meal is our yes and amen to that reality. We also share here, we share our gifts because like I said, the best way to prepare is to give it away. None of us here is without a need. None of us here is without something to give. And so we share this time. And then pray and worship as we respond to this. Grace and peace, y'all.